The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Hello, and welcome to the Eco Right Speaks, your climate focused podcast produced by the team at RepublicEN.org. I'm your host, Chelsea Henderson, coming at you today from San Antonio, Texas. I'll be back in my office in Maryland by the time this episode airs, but I have to say, it's been fun to do my first real travel since early 2020. I even got complimented from a stranger yesterday because I was wearing something other than joggers, and I have to say, it felt really good and also really weird. Today, I'm sharing my conversation with Ann Kelly, the Vice President of Government Relations at Ceres where she leads Series Policy Network, Business for Innovative Climate and Energy Policy, with the acronym BICEP. BICEP, again, Business for Innovative Climate and Energy Policy, is a coalition of leading consumer-facing companies advocating for meaningful climate and energy policy at the federal and state levels. Anne is an environmental lawyer with 25 years of combined experience in the private and public sectors. She has a vast array of experience and is even a member of the adjunct faculty of Boston College Law School, where she has taught courses in environmental law and climate change. Anne is a good friend of our executive director, Bob Inglis, and she's quickly becoming my friend too. Without further ado, my conversation with Anne Kelly. Welcome back to our listeners. I'm super excited today to be in conversation with my friend, Ann Kelly from Ceres. Anne, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chelsea. Really good to see you again. So, Anne, it was just a short two months ago that we were sort of swapped roles and I participated in a virtual event with you and some of your member companies, some of Ceres member companies to talk about the spirit of bipartisanship, it feels both like yesterday and 20 years ago that we did that. It really does. It feels like a very long time ago, but much has happened since then. And uh, you know, it's a very timely conversation we're having now. So for our listeners who are new to series, I thought maybe you could just give your little elevator pitch who you are and, and what you're trying to do on the climate change front. Absolutely. So Ceres was established in 1989 in the wake of the Valdez spill by thoughtful investors and environmentalists who really wanted to increase the influence that investors have over the companies that they own. And as you recall, um, there was a there was an appalling uh, sense of a lack of responsibility on Exxon's part at that time and a sense that we needed to do something that went beyond strict environmental laws and really establish a code of behavior that became the series principles. Uh, fast forward, um, we have a massive investor network on climate risk uh, that has you know over $20 trillion of assets under management. We have a corporate bench of about 65 companies with whom we work on their journey toward a, a more sustainable future. And then we have a policy bench, which is what I direct of 70 companies, Fortune 500s, who are committed to working toward meaningful climate and energy policy, both at the state 
and at the federal level. And we have investors who engage on the policy front as well. So that's the, the team that I run is the one in, involved in policy engagement, um, which is really hitting a fever pitch at the moment. For sure. Um, I feel like one thing that I just want our listeners to understand is that this is very different from, say, an environmental group in that we're talking about real money, right? These are businesses that make they make investments in their own corporate interests, but they also the fact that there is is a willingness to invest time and resources in climate policy is a signal to me that they take climate, the climate threat seriously. Absolutely, Chelsea. I mean, they are confining their arguments primarily to the economic case around climate action and the profound costs of inaction when it comes to climate change. So they have in their own institutions taken several steps. They've set timetables and targets. They've bought record amounts of renewable energy. They have reduced their own carbon footprint. They're moving toward electrifying fleets. And so they're taking that experience as well as their own sense of leadership and saying, this action pencils out for us and it will for you as well. They're saying something else too, which that, you know, we can set all the goals we want, including, you know, science-based targets, targets based on the climate science. We can purchase renewable energy. We can increase our energy efficiency, but we are not going to get to a 1.5 degree future. We are not going to meet the goals of the Paris Climate Agreement if we don't have the the rules right. We got to have laws and, and policies in place. And I think there's a vast consensus that that's the case. And so that's also why they're talking to lawmakers to just explain the landscape and explain really the imperative of taking action now. Well, I think what's really important about everything that you just said is that these companies are taking individual responsibility with their own targets or their own setting their own metrics, but then they're recognizing that that's not enough, that there does have to be this durable, and I'm going to throw out the B word again, bipartisan effort to codify the actions that we're doing together. And what I feel like the the special part about having corporate engagement is that it, well, it diversifies the, the field of people who are interested in climate change, right? It's not just your kind of stereotypical tree hugger. You're talking about boardrooms and places where big actual financial decisions are made. But also it just shows they're showing we can do this, right? We can do this on a company level, but if you can do it at a company level, we could do it at a national level. Exactly. We can do it at a national level. I do want to honor all the work of the environmental community in building our environmental law infrastructure that we have today. Um, and so really critical foundational work being done and continue to you know, being done as we speak. So you're right. The movement has diversified so there's many, many pockets and nowhere is that better described or exemplified than in America is all in. Now, that's the movement that, as you know, once was we are still in that was born in early June 2017, when then President Trump decided to leave the Paris Agreement. There was just an upwelling of a response from a number of sectors, cities, states, businesses, investors, healthcare institutions, and others who said, no, we are still in. In other words, 
We're still in on the Paris Agreement. Well, that movement has broadened now, uh, and I believe has moved a little bit more toward the middle to be America is all in. And it includes a vast number of sectors. You can go to americaisallin.org. And all of those parties are of the utmost importance. It's really important to understand what cities and states are doing. Um, and it's important. And, and, you know, they can partner then with the business community. Uh, but you are right. You're absolutely right that a business is acting alone. And, and none of them would say that they're perfect. They'd all indicate they've got a long way to go. But they need the federal government to be a partner. We need to be in this together. We need to build on our success, um, our successful environmental laws in the past that have gotten such terrific outcomes, like, for example, cleaner air and cleaner water. There's another really important element, though, that many of those environmental benefits have not been distributed equally. And a new theme this year, and, and it's wonderful to see it come up in Congress and also from the Biden administration, is to have a more equitable distribution of environmental harms and benefits, in particular the benefits. And you know, I'm happy to talk more about that, but, it, but it's a new day and it's an important message uh, that, that is also guiding our advocacy. For sure. And I will definitely link americasallin.org um, in our show notes. So any listener that wants to go check that out. And I didn't mean to be disparaging to the my friends in the environmental community. I've worked at two environmental groups. And so they, and everyone plays a role. And I think it's important to have that, you know, you want that round table and everyone's sitting around it. And that's what's important is that people are coming to the table and new, not necessarily new, you've been in this game for a while, but, but I'm not sure that everyone understands that there is a broad array of stakeholders who are for climate action. And that was the point I was trying to make when you were talking about um, Paris and former President Trump. I remember at the time that he said something about, I'm the president of Pittsburgh, not Paris, or something along those lines, and that the mayor of Pittsburgh issued a statement saying, we're in, we want the Paris Climate Accords, we agree with those those um, reduction limits. And so that was interesting to me, right, that there's probably a conception that Pittsburgh, sort of your um, quintessential manufacturing town, but has evolved significantly over the last decade or two decades. Absolutely. And I, I love that comparison because the mayor of Pittsburgh so immediately responded and say, yeah, do not tag me. Do not misrepresent me. Here's what Pittsburgh is really about. And he has gone on to be just a terrific spokesperson in We Are Still In and America Is All In. And your comment reminds me, Chelsea, of something related, which is that, you know, it's exciting to know that bipartisan majorities in the state actually really believe in climate action and in the development of the clean energy sector, in a job generating clean energy sector. And you can, you can uh, identify this through the Yale Climate Communication Studies. They've done a lot of work on this front, with, and it's, you might want to put that in the show notes as well. As well. Um, Tony Leiserwitz has done terrific work on this front that clarifies that bipartisan majorities really want to see the transition to a clean energy economy. And they really want to see former fossil fuel workers be employed on closing down old coal sites and old fossil fuel wells and in being gainfully employed in the transition to a clean energy economy. So that's important. Even you know, regardless of what we see in Washington, I think we really have to go back to our constituents and understand what the American public is, is asking for and supporting. Absolutely. So let's pivot and talk about um, the infrastructure bill. I feel like it was infrastructure week when we talked in March and things are still brewing. 
for most people who aren't living in the the daily bubble that we're in, where we're constantly watching what's happening on Capitol Hill and and you know the issues of the day, I feel like if I was talking to my mom, for example, about infrastructure, she would think about the new bridge she would like to see between our the town that we live in and the next town over. Um, being from Maine, actually the town I grew up in is an island on the Penobscot River, so we have bridges to get off. Or she might think about the potholes on the interstate, but it's so much more than that. The infrastructure bill presents so many more opportunities. And I know that you, that Ceres and some of your member companies have written to Congress asking for a strong infrastructure package that focuses on climate. And I just thought that it might be interesting for listeners to hear where the policy opportunities are in an infrastructure bill. Absolutely. And thank you for raising um, infrastructure. It's it's the, the topic of the moment. And you're right. We had 84 companies and investors actually go to Capitol Hill last week, uh, of course, in a virtual format, but, but really offer a call to action to put forward an infrastructure package that is smart on climate and that actually addresses climate change at the same time. So it is roads and bridges. And as you indicate, it is so much more in the infrastructure package, including what President Biden put out, but also what came out last year in the Moving Forward Act, things like the expansion of rural broadband are included. Now, you're right. Our, our parents wouldn't have thought of that, certainly as part of traditional infrastructure. But it turns out it's really important for rural communities. There's so many communities whose children were compromised over the over the pandemic that they couldn't attend school. And so putting something in along those lines really makes sense. Of course, it also makes sense to put in traditional roads and bridges and, and job generating projects that we so desperately need. But a more expansive view includes having the infrastructure of the clean energy sector built up through through the plan. So building up the clean energy sector, investing in that sector, just as we collectively historically invested in railroads and we invested in the interstate highway system, this is a moment to keep the U.S. competitive, to make the U.S. more competitive in this space, building up the clean energy sector in a way that is um, much broader than what then Vice President Biden did in 2009. As we, as we know, in that original stimulus package, the funding simply was not enough. We, we've learned from that. So really building up the sector again and building on the very clear job data that comes from that. Uh, and, and I appreciate the president's comments about making sure these are well-paying jobs. These are union jobs to the extent they can be. This is really important and builds up our, our human infrastructure. It also builds up literally renewable energy infrastructure, including creative things like using offshore platforms that have traditionally been used for offshore drilling, using those for offshore wind. This is happening. Wow. We can retrain. Let's be smart about how we do this. That's just one example, Chelsea. It also, of course, includes the building out of EV charging infrastructure. That's another job generator uh, that, that enjoys terrific support. Yesterday, we just saw the Ford F-150, the most popular car in America, is now electrified. Uh, the change is happening. And I think the bill is really, you know, the, the notion, the bill, and I say bill in quotes because I don't know which exact bill will go through Congress, but the notion that we can have a comprehensive infrastructure bill that will simultaneously move us out of the economic uh, downturn that we suffered from the pandemic employ people at a rapid pace and address climate change is really just economically sound and too good to be true. Those 84 that came to Capitol Hill are major employers and energy purchasers 
who are living through this transition and profiting from it as a result. So what they're able to say to lawmakers is, we're making this work, we're hiring, we are benefiting from the climate and energy goals we have made, and we need you to do the same. We need you to be a partner. We're energy optimists and climate realists. Stand with us at republicen.org. Now back to this week's episode. Um, this visit that your members made to the Hill, this was part of your lead on climate effort. Is that correct? Yes. And for your listeners, LEAD stands for Lawmaker Education and Advocacy Day. And we use that word on purpose because it isn't that we are necessarily championing Bill X, Y, and Z. What we're saying is these are the principles. These are the notions. This is what we can support. As a leading business community, we support the transition to a clean energy economy. And we have all these individual examples and stories that we can tell you about how it is working for us. And this is Salesforce and Microsoft and Mars and Ikea. These are major players. Uh, PSEG, you know, the utility was there talking about their interesting partnership with Orsted, the offshore wind company, about the solar that they're putting through New Jersey. So they're basically saying, look, this is happening. Let's get on board. Let's expedite this transition. And what sort of um, feedback did they re- did, did, did they report back to you or Were these messages well received? I know you saw a bipartisan group of lawmakers and their staffs. Was the reception positive? Overwhelmingly, it was, Chelsea. And some of the proof of that is that when the advocacy days were over, we got follow-up calls from staffers and members who said, oh, I didn't get to meet with your companies. Can you come back? And so as we speak, we have meetings today. We have meetings next week. We're going to continue. It can't be a one-shot deal, right? So we're going to continue to go back tell the stories, provide the data, answer the questions, and give lawmakers really the cover they need to be bold and to be courageous and to get this done. And I think with the overwhelming business community coming in, and again, there'll be more, so so stay tuned because there'll be more advocacy that you will see. This isn't going to stop until the August recess when we have this done. I think we we received an enormously responsible you know, positive response. I should say this advocacy day, we also went out of our way to meet with the administration. So we had meetings with um, the EPA and, and NHTSA as well. And those were very positive too. No, that's great. And and when you and I were talking about bipartisanship in March, um, one, I remember that one thing that I said, you know, when you have a, you will walk away from this podcast and go, wait, what did I just say? Right. Whenever you, I feel like there's a speaking engagement Afterwards, you wondered, did I hit all my notes? Did I say everything I wanted to say? I do recall in our, our conversation to your members that I said I thought if there was a vote on, for example, a carbon pricing or something along those lines, and that vote was um, secret ballot, that you would have majorities in both, Congress, uh, both houses of Congress supporting pricing carbon. And so sort of to that effect, I'm wondering, like, how do we, how do you think, or your member companies think we can get over, I do think we're in a little bit of a a sticky spot with bipartisanship, right? And, and a lot of it is happening within the Republican Party over, um, you know, the, the perpetration of the lie that President Biden was not actually elected. And we've seen a lot of infighting. How do we kind of rise above that and get and, and bring people back into this fold of we have to work together? 
you know, no one country or no one party can lead the country. And when we just point fingers at each other or say we're not going to support that because the other guys drafted it, that's not beneficial to the American public. And it doesn't result in strong, durable policy being formed. I don't think. I think you need both sides at the table. So how do we get over kind of the current dynamic so that we can get back to being a productive government? Well, that's exactly the right question, Chelsea. And I really like the way you frame it. And, and you and I both know that what we need is durable bipartisan legislation. That is exactly what Ceres and our members are committed to. And we've quoted you many times from your comment at our conference. That was one of the most popular interviews we held because I think people were really struck at your courage in coming right out and saying, yes, if the ballot were secret, because really what you're saying is, you know, in the heartland, throughout the country, there's tremendous support for moving this forward. There's tremendous support for investing in the clean energy economy. And I can and I continue to believe that that's the case. A few positive signs, you know, we want to depoliticize this issue and not let the politics get in front of the policy. So get right down to work on what it is we need to pass. I think it was notable and often forgotten that at the end of 2020, December 2020, there was a bipartisan climate bill passed, among other things. Um, it included an amendment to phase down hydrofluorocarbons, HFCs, which are really important and potent uh, pollutant. And so that's positive. And I think that got lost in the news cycle. Importantly, the methane CRA just passed and that, that will now allow us to pull back um, the Trump restrictions on methane regulation, allow us to regulate that extremely potent greenhouse gas. Three Republicans, including Senator Graham, joined in that vote. I thought that was really significant. And the oil and gas, some of the major oil and gas companies too, also were looking to have the, the old methane rule restored. Exactly. The industry themselves have come out and said, yeah, we can do this. Let's get this done. So it's really important to pay attention to those developments. And of course, we will. You saw uh, trillions of dollars of assets under management, investors with assets under management over the trillions of dollars last week supported methane regulation. And you're going to see tremendous upwelling of support for the administration as it regulates methane. That's really important. And that is bipartisan in nature, even though, yes, it's under the Administrative Procedures Act, those are administrative rules, but that is a that has robust bipartisan support, you can be sure. The third thing that I think is positive, if you saw the water infrastructure bill that passed the Senate with a vote of, of 98 to two, uh, only two senators were opposed to that. It's really important that there's tremendous support for getting rid of, of lead pipes and that compromise drinking water. We really hold on to these areas of bipartisanship. I guess the final one I would mention is the Growing Climate Solutions Act which has a number of Republicans and Democrats on both sides. And this was originally co-sponsored by Senator Braun, a Republican of Indiana, and, and Senator Stabenow, Democrat of Michigan. They've worked long and hard on this bill. And we have many, many of our food and fiber companies behind this bill. It's not perfect. No legislation is, but it's an important start. And it is richly bipartisan. I feel like in the agricultural sector and in looking at Climate Smart Ag, we're going to continue to see opportunities for bipartisanship. These are the things that may not be always get in the headlines, but there is that core work that is done between staffers, between offices. Um, and we are committed to having those conversations and looking at where we can literally build bridges um, so that we can get an infrastructure package through. I'm not naive about how profoundly difficult it is to go through evenings like last night uh, over the bill, the uh, 
the unfortunate vote on the bipartisan commission. What I am looking at is there were 35 Republicans who voted for that bipartisan commission on January 6th. And I think we wanna talk to those people who have demonstrated a willingness to move forward, to cooperate, to act in a a bipartisan way. that's what we're banking on. And we are bringing extremely credible financial leaders who are also deeply committed to, to building that bipartisan bridge. I'm, I'm optimistic. I'm hopeful. I think there's enough elements in infrastructure writ large that we're going to be able to get a package through. Well, one of my last questions I had for you was whether you feel hope, but with everything you just said, I could hear the hope in the tone of your voice. And because I can see you on Zoom, I could see it also in your face. And when you have hope, given the the breadth of people you're working with, it gives me hope as well. And I'm just so happy to know that Ceres is out there. We, I know that you and our executive director, Bob Inglis, are working together um, to, that you forged a friendship and, and a partnership. And I think that that's really special. And we need to keep those bridges, as you said, we need to keep building them where we see the opportunity and then we need to keep reinforcing them, right? We can't let them become those like saggy bridges that no one wants to walk or drive over. And just having, you know, having this nice, like I said, the round table with all the different stakeholders on it and and having that the rich background and the rich interest in all the different stakeholders is so important to that durability part of, of getting climate legislation. And so thank you for everything you're doing and, uh, your amazing series is amazing. And I'm really glad to call you a friend. Thank you, Chelsea, right back at you. And your comment reminds me of the famous quote from Desmond Tutu, who said that he was a prisoner of hope. I don't think we have any choice when we think about future generations. We don't have the luxury of not being hopeful, optimistic, and completely dedicated to building that bridge, reinforcing that bridge, uh, making sure that we don't let the politics get in the way of smart policy. I'm looking forward to talking to my friend Bob Inglis again about how we pick up the pieces and continue to build on what we have, especially in these next few months when it's so critical that we get something through. Well, let's get out our hammers and nails and get to work. Absolutely. Thanks for everything Republican does and for your podcast, Chelsea. Look forward to talking to you again soon. What a great interview with Ann Kelly that Chelsea had there. We appreciate Ann so much for not just being a guest here on the podcast, the Eco Right Speaks podcast, but also just being a fantastic partner and somebody uh, that we have worked with over the years and continue to work with at Ceres. Uh, they are just a fantastic partner uh, fighting the good fight, and we really appreciate Ann uh, joining us this week. Yes, I'm Price Atkinson, your producer here on the Eco Right Speaks, Chelsea is not here this week to wrap this thing up with me as she is in Texas. She got to get on an airplane for the first time since this whole thing began. I'm going to be doing so uh, this week as well. And that is a programming note real quick to let all of you know is that our episode today debuting on Tuesday, May the 25th, we will not have one next Tuesday on June the 1st. Our next episode will come to you after this one on Tuesday, June the 8th. We're just going to take a little bit of a Memorial Day break, so we won't have one on Tuesday, June the 1st. We will return on Tuesday, June the 8th. And as always, you can download, listen, subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, many different ways to listen to us. Um, Go ahead and just search 
EcoWrite Speaks and hit subscribe. It's that easy. It will be downloaded and sent right to your phone, iPad, whatever it is that you use. And you can give us a rating there, which we would love to have, because it makes it easier for others to find the podcast. I want to give a shout out to some new members, Raquel A. in North Carolina, Ella G. in Massachusetts, Frank P. in Illinois, Brenda S. in Kentucky, Paul E. in North Dakota for signing up recently this week to stand with us, which you can do, republicin.org forward slash join. We need you. If you are a conservative, if you are listening, we need you to stand with us. Please take the time. It doesn't take any time at all. It takes mere seconds. Republican.org forward slash join. Also, one more call to action. If you are interested in having Bob Inglis, a member of our team, speak, let us know. You can let me specifically know. Price at Republican.org. Uh, drop me an email. Uh, I handle all our programming events. Would love to, as things start opening up, obviously the CDC changing their mask guidelines starting to open up again and come the fall we should be you know really uh, proverbially fully open for business we hope uh, but certainly back on the road as Bob will be traveling around hopefully by uh, full-time by the fall as we're going to hit a few places here this summer but if you're interested in having Bob or a member of our team speak let me uh, let us know it just takes a very simple email republican.org price at republican.org and I can con- communicate with you to see what it is that you've got, how we might fit, what we can do. Uh, we would love to be a part of your event, especially if you are a conservative, business-oriented outfit or organization, a professor, um, student organization. Let us know. We want to talk with you, and we would be thrilled to do so, especially and getting Bob back out on the road this fall. That'll do it for this week's episode. Thank you again for listening. Thanks to Ann Kelly one final time for joining us. Chelsea will be back. I'll be back June the 8th, our next episode on Tuesday, June the 8th. Until then, we've got a lot of episodes in the can. If you missed one, it's a great time to go back and listen. But I hope everybody has a blessed, safe Memorial Day holiday weekend. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Right Speaks podcast brought to you by the team at RepublicEN.org. Make sure to visit RepublicEN.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco-right leader.